Today we're continuing with our series entitled, True Crime, Bible Edition. In this series, we're exploring 10 heinous crimes recorded in the Bible from three different perspectives. First, we want to look at who did it and why. Second, how God responded to the person who committed the crime. And third, what we can learn from it. We're going to discover two different kinds of threads among these criminals found in the Bible, those who were followers of the Lord and those who weren't. The Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. In our first episode, we examined the first murder in the Bible committed by Cain against his younger brother Abel. Today we're going to look at another murder, a murder committed by Moses. Now, as I say this, I should also say that a case can be made for saying that Moses didn't really commit murder, even though he willfully ended the life of an Egyptian. We'll unpack both perspectives as we look at this event in Moses' life. Let's start with the details of this event recorded in Exodus chapter 2. One day, after Moses had grown up, He went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. There are two Hebrew words that we want to take a closer look at in these verses. One word is translated as beating, and the other as killing or killed. Now, the challenge for us is is that Hebrew words often have a wide range of meanings. For example, the Hebrew word translated as beating is nakah. It can mean to strike a person with a fist, or to strike a person with a weapon or tool in one's hand. But nakah can also mean to kill. So, when Moses saw an Egyptian slave master beating a Hebrew slave, did Moses witness the Hebrew being beaten or being killed? The Hebrew word would allow for either. But more on this in a bit. The same word, nakah, is also used when we are told that Moses killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The fact that Moses hid the Egyptian in the sand definitely warrants in this particular verse to translate nakah as killed. Now, nakah occurs one more time in these verses. 
The next day Moses went out among the Hebrew people, and he saw two men fighting. We're told that Moses asked the man who started the fight, Why are you hitting or beating your fellow Hebrew? Was this man beating his fellow Hebrew with his fist, or with a tool in his hand, or was he in the process of beating him to death? The Hebrew word allows for either. The man that Moses confronted with his question responded back, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? The Hebrew man did not use the word naka. He used a different Hebrew word, harag. This word means to kill or slay, but it has a specific shade of meaning. It means to kill with ruthless violence, especially violence done privately. So the Hebrew man essentially asked Moses, Are you thinking of killing me as you privately and ruthlessly killed the Egyptian? The word kill occurs one more time in this section. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. The word for kill that Pharaoh used was the same word the Hebrew man used, harag, to kill ruthlessly and with vengeance. So in this section, we have an Egyptian either beating or killing a Hebrew slave, Moses killing that Egyptian, a Hebrew man wondering if Moses was going to kill him like he killed the Egyptian, and Pharaoh seeking to have Moses killed because he killed the Egyptian whole lot of killing going on here. Well, this story about Moses got me thinking about another story in Moses' life. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments from the Lord God. As you know, one of the commandments forbids murder. The Ten Commandments are found in two places in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. However, in neither chapter are the commandments actually numbered. They're just listed. Now, keep that in mind with what's next. It's a bit of a detour, but I think it's worth mentioning. As I explained in my podcast, By the Numbers, the number 10, there is not universal agreement on what the Ten Commandments actually are. In fact, there are two different listings of the Ten Commandments in the Christian church today. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods, occurs in both lists. Now, in one version, we'll, we'll call it list A, has as the second commandment, you shall make no idols, which is indeed found in both Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. List A then has just one commandment about coveting, the tenth one. Total, ten commandments. And in this list, the commandment against murder is the sixth commandment. Now, list B has as the second commandment the one about not misusing the Lord's name. List B then has two commandments dealing with coveting, the ninth being about not coveting other people's physical stuff, and the tenth commandment about not coveting other people, their servants or their animals. Total, ten commandments. In this list, the commandment against murder is the fifth commandment. So depending on what list of commandments you follow, the commandment against murder, murder is either the fifth or the sixth. 
Now, if you read Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5, you can understand why different people number the commandments differently. The list A folks conclude that having no other gods and not making idols are two separate commands, and that coveting is coveting whether it be something inanimate or something alive and breathing. On the other hand, the list B folks conclude that you shall make no idols is just a further explanation of you shall have no other gods, and that there are different types of coveting, non-living, and living things. So, where did these different listings of the commandments come from? List A, to me, seems to be the earlier version. Because around 400 AD, there was a Bible scholar and church father by the name of Augustine. I've mentioned him numerous times in my podcasts and books. It was Augustine who suggested that the three verses following the first commandment, you shall have no other gods, were an explanation or supplementary information about not following other gods. Augustine also distinguished between coveting stuff and coveting what was living. Now, since the Bible doesn't actually number the Ten Commandments, I think we have to be open to either list A or B. What do you think? Back to the commandment forbidding murder. So what word did the Lord use in his commandment on murder? You shall not murder. Is it naka, the word translated as beating, but can also mean to end the life of someone? Or was it harag, the word meaning to kill someone ruthlessly or with personal vengeance? Guess what? Neither. The Lord God used a different Hebrew word in the commandment, ratzak. I mentioned earlier that some Hebrew words have a range of meanings. Well, that's true of Ratzak. Now, its basic meaning is to murder, slay, or kill. But on the one end of the word meaning spectrum, Ratzak is used to describe an accidental killing. Like if one of your bulls got out of its pen and gored another man to death, that would be an accidental killing. However, on the other end of the word meaning spectrum, ratzak can refer to premeditated first-degree murder. It can also refer to the act of avenging the death of another person. It can also mean to assassinate someone. So does the word ratzak in the fifth or sixth commandment refer to unintentional killing or to murder or to both? I believe there's an answer. And it's found in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the commandment forbidding murder shows up six times. Twice in Matthew's Gospel, once each in Mark and Luke's Gospel accounts, once in Romans, and once in James. In all six places, the Greek word phonoio is used. The definition for phonoio is to deprive a person of life by illegal, intentional killing to murder, to commit murder. All told, the word phonoio occurs 12 times in the New Testament, with all 12 occurrences referring to actual murder. So the authors of the New Testament saw the commandment forbidding murder to be just that, murder, the illegal, intentional killing of another human being. It's also worth mentioning that in the Lord's Old Testament laws, there were different punishments 
for whether ending a human life was unintentional or accidental or whether it was premeditated. When it came to premeditated murder, the Lord required the guilty party also to be put to death. Today we would call it capital punishment. In the case of unintentional or accidental death, the punishment was less than a life for life. One final point. The word ratzak is never used in the Bible to describe the killing that occurs in war. With that background on word meanings, let's get back to what Moses did. So was Moses' killing of the Egyptian intentional? Well, it certainly wasn't accidental. So yes, it was intentional. Was it illegal? Well, based upon Pharaoh's response to hearing about this dead Egyptian, Pharaoh considered it illegal and worthy of capital punishment. And after all, Pharaoh made the rules in Egypt. So from Pharaoh's perspective, this was murder that had to be punished. Moses' actions confirmed that he knew it was wrong to take the life of this Egyptian. Before he actually killed the Egyptian, he checked out his surroundings to make sure no one would see him do it. Looking this way and that way and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian. And then Moses sought to cover up the Egyptian's death by hiding him in the sand. So it seems we have a murder and a cover-up. Then, to escape Pharaoh's threat to his own life, Moses fled Egypt and went to live in Midian. So, where then does this idea come from that Moses' killing of this Egyptian wasn't necessarily a murder? I think it's an interesting question. Now, there are two places in the Bible, both in the New Testament, that give us some additional insight into this account of Moses killing the Egyptian. One is in Acts chapter 7, and the other is in Hebrews chapter 11. Let's start with Acts chapter 6. Here we are introduced to a man by the name of Stephen, who is described as a man full of God's grace and power, who performed great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Not surprisingly, opposition to Stephen arose from a group of religious leaders. They were known as the Synagogue of the Freedmen. These leaders secretly persuaded others to accuse Stephen of blasphemy against Moses and against God. Acts chapter 7 then records Stephen's defense before the Sanhedrin of this charge of blasphemy. In Stephen's defense address, he recounted Old Testament events beginning with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then continued with Moses and Aaron, and concluded with David and Solomon. Here is what Stephen said about Moses and his killing of the Egyptian. Now, as we read these words of Stephen, listen for what we learn that we didn't learn from the Exodus account of this event. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, the Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him 
by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. But they did not. Some of what Stephen said we know from Exodus 2. Pharaoh had ordered all the boys born to Hebrew women to be killed. So let's just pause there. Tucked away in the story of Moses' birth is one of the most heinous types of crimes in history. Genocide. Pharaoh had ordered the death of all Hebrew boys born. And why? Well, Pharaoh lived with the fear that the Hebrews were getting too numerous and too powerful. He thought they were becoming a threat to the nation of Egypt. Well, anyway, Moses was born and his mother hid him for three months. When she and her husband couldn't hide him any longer, she put the little one in a tar-pitched basket and put the basket among the reeds of the Nile. It was at a location where Pharaoh's daughter came regularly to bathe. It's actually Pharaoh's daughter who names this baby boy Moses. His name means, I drew him out of water. Now Stephen also gives us some new information. He said that Moses was well-educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was powerful in speech and action. We also learn that the Exodus 2 event happened when Moses was 40 years old. And here's another insight. Moses saw that his fellow Hebrew was being, as Stephen said, mistreated by an Egyptian. Remember when I said earlier that the Hebrew word translated as beating could either be beating or killing? Well, Stephen clarified this for us. The Hebrew slave was being mistreated by his Egyptian slave master, not killed. As we, as we hear from Stephen, Moses went to the man's defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. We also learn from Stephen about Moses' thought process for killing the Egyptian. Did you catch that? Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. Stephen doesn't tell us how Moses came to understand that God was going to use him, namely Moses, to rescue God's chosen people. It's just that he knew it. But Moses' timetable for rescuing God's people and the Lord God's timetable were 40 years apart. Moses would flee to Midian, but he wouldn't return to be Israel's rescuer until he was 80 years old. Moses had made his own assumptions about his role as rescuer. As a result, he took matters into his own hands and killed the Egyptian. The Lord God did not tell Moses to do it. Moses acted on his own, and as a result, he had to flee from Egypt until the Lord was actually ready to have him lead. So here's one of the big takeaways for us from what Moses did. We need to remember that the Lord has his own timetable and plans. Like Moses, we can find ourselves in a difficult position if we try to impose our own timetable and plans instead of waiting for the Lord to reveal His plans and His timetable. For us, that is often very hard to do. There are some additional insights we learn from what the writer to the Hebrews says about these events in Moses' life. 
Again, listen to the new insights we learn from the writer to the Hebrews. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. Did you catch the new insights? Moses' parents had great faith. They did not fear Pharaoh's edict to kill all the male babies. Here's another one. When Moses had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He sided with his own people, those who were slaves of Pharaoh, and were being mistreated. Moses gave up the riches and the pleasures that could be had living in Pharaoh's palace and a member of Pharaoh's family. Moses considered the promises of God's reward to be worth so much more. And so this is a second takeaway for us. The wealth, privilege, honor, and power that our culture and world offers cannot begin to compare with the eternal glory, honor, and riches that are ours because of Jesus. Forty years after Moses fled Egypt to Midian, the Lord God showed up one day in a burning bush that didn't burn up. The Lord called Moses to return to Egypt to lead his people out of Egypt. Moses was quite reluctant to go, but eventually did. It was now the Lord's timetable and plan to have Moses rescue God's people from the land of Egypt and the oppression of Pharaoh. Moses now got on board with God's plan. So what's the difference between Moses killing the Egyptian and Cain killing his brother Abel? One word, faith. By faith, Moses acted. Although he wasn't in alignment with the Lord's plan, he did act in faith. Cain, on the other hand, lacked faith in the Lord. And because of faith, or lack thereof, the end results for Cain and Moses' murders were incredibly different. Cain was cursed. Moses was eventually blessed. True Crime, Bible Edition. In our next episode, we'll examine a tag team of serious and alarming crimes from someone you'd least expect. If you have any thoughts or questions about this podcast, please email me at bruce at timeofgrace.org. I'd love to hear from you. And if you want to learn more about Moses, just go to our website at timeofgrace.org. Type the word Moses in the search bar you'll find dozens of different pieces of content about Moses to watch and to read. Thanks for listening, and God bless.